scripture for this evening is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Yes. Read with me. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory, the word of the Lord. You know, just to start out here tonight, um, I wondered if, if uh, the new members could stand again just for a second. Just wanted to just stand, just wanted to look, look around at them. I'm going to let you sit in just a second. But, um, so this morning I'm praying for you. And I'm asking the Lord, what kind of community do we need to be for you to flourish? And five years from now, should the Lord still keep you around town, for you to feel connected, loved, empowered, and using your gifts to serve those that are coming in? You can sit down now. What? What would it be? What would it look like? You know, what keeps people vitally connected to a faith community? Healthy churches do many things to foster spiritual growth. Uh, good worship, good teaching, caring for the sick, inspiring service around a common mission, living within the circle of the church years, celebrating births, mourning deaths, gathering at the table, becoming a spiritual family, playing together like we did around the food trucks at our birthday party. That's all so, so important. And I, I don't think it's really healthy to try to rank things that churches do. But what I would suggest, if you press me and you said, okay, that's all good, do all that as well as you can. If you press me and you said, if there were one thing over everything else that would help these folks flourish spiritually in our church, what would it be? I think I would say shepherding. Um, when a person is shepherded well, when, when their souls are cared for well, they flourish spiritually. And they often go on to use their gifts and care for others as well. Now, you might be thinking, you know, I, I haven't seen a lot of shepherds wandering around Forth and Gill lately. This is kind of an archaic image, uh, Pastor. Okay, what do you mean by shepherding? Well, that's exactly what Peter is talking about tonight. And if we could have the text up there, um, we can go through it together. He begins by, by talking to elders in these little churches, and he's talking to them about shepherding the flock of God. Now, 2,000 years later, when we read this, rightfully so, if, if you've been around the church at all, uh, we think of church government. We think of uh, an elder team or an elder board. We think of nominations and bylaws and all that good stuff, all those helpful tools. Um, but they wouldn't have thought that way 
in the first century, particularly around 60 AD, um, getting an illustration to kind of, I think, capture, I think, how they would have heard this. Uh, Sandy and I went on a missions trip once to a remote area of, of a southeastern Romania, right across the Black Sea from Turkey. And uh, we were connected with this wonderful Baptist church uh, and their pastor, Pastor Relu. And somehow Pastor Relu and his church were able not only to thrive under communism, but to plant other churches during communism. I still don't know how they did that. And uh, I was preaching there, and then after the morning service, Pastor Relu said, you know, I want to take you all to go see one of our newest daughter churches that we just planted. So we got into a van, we went way out in the country, way out into, it felt like we were going back in time a thousand years, and we come into a little village, and it felt like it was before the Middle Ages, and animals and ducks and everything wandering all over the place, and we park in front of this little kind of hut, this little small kind of apartment kind of thing. We go in the front door, we go in the back door, we go into a room behind the back door. There's a, a room with dirt on the floor and benches and about seven people sitting around it, seven peasants. And Raylo said, this is our new church. And he said, preach. <laughs> and so I preached and he translated. And uh, that, was, that was quite an experience. But I think that is more what the early churches church planting looked like. Uh, little groups of people clustered around uh, in, a, in a small back room, like house churches. So who would the elders be in a church like this? And again, if you're like me, you've you know, grown up in suburban churches, you, you think you know, white-haired bankers that are all 70, uh, and that's a wonderful thing if you can find them. But if you, if you ever read the, old, the New Testament Acts, when Paul plants a church, he's there for like nine months or 12 months or maybe 18 months. And then it says, and he established elders in the churches and moved on. And I always remember thinking, how on earth do you do, how do, you do that? Because these people are coming out of knowing nothing about the gospel. Well, what he does is he finds the mature people in that little cell group, the ones that have a heart for shepherding, and he turns them loose. And he empowers them and trains them. And I I was trying to remember, it was over 20 years ago, but I think the shepherds of this little house church we were in were a little peasant uh, guy and his wife. They didn't have teeth. Uh, I don't think they read. But they would be, I think, what would have been considered the elders of this church. So Peter's writing to faithful people who had just enough maturity, just enough courage to start caring for a handful of other people around them. And that's really all shepherding is. It's caring for the souls of other people. And I think it applies, of course, to our shepherding team. That's our group of elders. But it applies so much more. I think of Lauren and and Melanie upstairs caring for our children. I think of Mark and David, this little flock on Monday night. I think of Tommy and Jamie Smith and all the parents as they shepherd their children. I think of Danny and Jane Bulletin and all the small group leaders as they shepherd their small groups, and Betsy Martin, who shepherds the staff to the personnel team, Jana Morgan, who is on sabbatical in New York City, writing a book under deadline, who probably spent 15 hours last week getting ready for the board meeting tomorrow night, to which she'll Skype into. That's shepherding, too. And I could give many more examples, and 
I'll give a few more tonight, and please don't be offended if I leave you out. There's so much shepherding going on in our body. We'd be here all night if I mentioned everybody. So I think this text has a wide range of applications. But first, I want to say this. I don't think everybody's called to be shepherd. I don't think everybody is called to be a shepherd in our congregation. First, uh, I don't think everybody's gifted to be a shepherd. We all have different gifts. Not everybody's gifted to be a shepherd. No guilt if you're not called to be a shepherd. No guilt. No guilt at all. Second, I think some people aren't in the right season to be shepherds. You're in a PhD program. You're writing your dissertation. You're under deadline. You're working 70 hours a week. You're lucky to get here twice a month just to get a little food. Don't worry about it. It's not the right season. And I think some people are recovering spiritually. You're in a season of restoration. Uh, it's not time for you to shepherd others. So uh, not everybody's called to be a shepherd, to be a, an elder, a mature one, carrying into a handful of people. But some of us are. And so I, I want to ask, ask you to consider this tonight. Could God be calling you to be a shepherd in our church? You're free to say no, right? But would you consider it? Could he be asking you to host a breakfast for artists? Could he be asking you to get two men or two women together for breakfast to talk about the Lord? Could he be asking you to shepherd a young mother just to walk with her and maybe watch her child every once in a while and invest in her? Could he be calling you to gather together our teachers and care for their souls? Could he be calling you to gather together our social workers and care for their souls? How about our lawyers caring for their souls? Maybe some of our senior members who particularly have a hard time when it gets dark and they can't get here in the winter. Could he be calling you to shepherd one of our young people in our, in our youth group? Could he call you to, to gather some people together on a weeknight in your home and take the little sermon questions I send out every week and just shepherd people that way? Well, what does it look like? Maybe you're open, but you don't know what it looks like. Let's look at the rest of the text. And I'm in Zephaniah, which is uh, not about shepherding. Okay, he starts off and he says, I exhort you. Now, this is kind of interesting. He's been very gentle and pastoral in this book, in this letter. This is one of the strongest words you could use to encourage somebody. It's about, I challenge you, come on, go for it. This is a, a real kind of, come on, I want you to do this. Press in. Why is he so excited? Why does he use a word like that when he's writing these shepherds in these little house churches? Well, he's been doing this 30 years now, and he knows it's hard. Galatians 6.1 talks about bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. When you step up and care for the souls of another human being, whether it's one child or two people in a small group or your, your third grade class of your child, whatever it is, if you decide you feel called, I'm, gonna just, I'm just, just going to kind of put my arms around this group of people and love them and care for them and resource them. When you make that decision... You have just stepped into pain. <laughs> you have just stepped into need. I don't like to use myself as an illustration. Uh, there's a lots, lots of them because I fail so much. Um, I think about you 
all the time. I think about you in the middle of the night. I think about you on vacation. I think about you when I'm in the middle of a swimming race. I pray about you all the time. I think about those of you that are sick. I think about those of you that are going through a divorce. I think about those of you that are mad at me. I think about you all the time. I wouldn't trade it for the world. It's the greatest joy. and It's like being a parent. It's wonderful. I love you. I'm so thankful for it. It's hard. Sometimes I just want to check out. I can't. And when you start caring for other people, it's hard. What did Augustine define sin? He said sin was the heart turning in on itself. You know, the older I get, the easier that is to do. I'm done. I did it. Now let, let, the, let somebody else do it. I'm going to. It's about me now. No, nobody says thank you anyway. Nobody appreciates it. I think he says, come on, I exhort you. Because it's easy to quit being a shepherd. And then notice the way he describes himself. He says, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. You know, don't, one of the reasons I like to go through scripture slowly is you see stuff that you might miss. The first time I read that, I didn't think twice about it. I bet you're already thinking twice about it. What's ironic about that? <laughs> Well, Jesus uh, and Peter had a very interesting experience when Peter was witnessing or his suffering. Peter went away. Jesus started to get beat up in the courtyard in front of Pilate. <laughs> Peter said, Lord, I got your back. He's gone. You remember the next time we see Peter? And I've always wondered what... What were those three or four days like for Peter? Just think of the shame and the guilt and what a failure he must have been. It's this lovely scene in John 21. Jesus, I love this. The the guys are out in the boat fishing. What does he do? He cooks some breakfast. That's what a shepherd does. Puts some fish on a stick. And then he pulls pulls him out of the the lake, and Peter jumps in, swims towards him. That always gets me, too, that, gosh, what an understanding of grace. When I fail you that badly, I move towards you. Boy, Peter knew something about the Lord, didn't he? And you remember, what does Jesus say to Peter? He says, I am so disappointed in you, Peter. Now, he asks him one question. He says, do you love me? He asks it three times. Peter says, yes, three times. And he says, feed my sheep. Shepherd. So one of the greatest shepherds in the history of the church is a total failure. Betrayed the Lord. Denied him. And you might be thinking, oh, I, I couldn't. I'm not Jill and Scott Branson. Jill and Scott always have a small group going in their house. They're wonderful shepherds. It fills up so fast. 
You might be thinking, I'm not Jill and Scott. I could never, I don't have their gifts. Maybe not. God will use you. He uses wounded healers. That's kind of a criteria is to be broken. You fit that? Then Peter starts describing how to shepherd. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Uh, it's the word episcopal. We get our word episcopal or bishop from it. It's the idea of looking over and paying attention to something, and it's what shepherds do. Every night, they'd get the flock together, and they would look over the flock, and they would uh, look at their coats, and they would think through what do the sheep need the next day? Do they need more water? Do they need more shade? I don't know what else sheep need. Do they need a haircut? Um, whatever. And then they would make plans to care for the needs of the flock. That's all a shepherd does just looks at the sheep, whether it's one or 1,000, and tries to discern what the needs are. Now, that's exactly what uh, Dan Holbrook did. He just uh, looked back a couple years ago, looked around, was having a lot of conversations with young couples that were saying, we'd like a little help, we'd like a little training. And for three years, he worked on a way to offer some teaching and training, found Adam. This is what Adam's doing professionally. It all worked together, and that's what a good shepherd does. He goes, he looks out, discerns a need, finds a way to, to meet it. A um, number of you did something similar. You came to us, and you said, you know, Roxy can't come at five. Roxy usually sits there. Roxy has cataracts. She can't make the evening service because she can't drive at night. She lives in Maryville. And then somebody else said, you know, and some of the young families are having a hard time coming at five during this season. Uh, we feel like we're not shepherding them very well. Could we do something? So, long story short, and I'll tell you more about this later, but in January, we're going to start a Sunday school class on Sunday mornings. And I know that's not a hip contemporary term, but it's what we call it. And if it's good enough for me, it's good enough for you. No, it's a Sunday school class. It's going to be at the Regus building, 9 to 1030. It's not a church service. Uh, there will be child care, some teaching, some fellowship. It's shepherding. And it, it's happened because a number of you looked out over the flock and saw that there was a need. A lot of times it's just very informal, and I hear about this all the time. I hear about Ginger and Stacy and Shelly making sure that Bill has a ride to chemo. I hear about Jeremy dropping by his hospital room. Or that the, Rob the Robersons took care of Suzanne's dog bandit after Suzanne died. Uh, or that Polly Tullock dropped off some soup at the escape broths on the day Deb started radiation. And I think of all the time I drive by the Loy's porch in Park Ridge, taking my kids to swimming, and I see shepherding going on, and all the meetings that have happened in David and Trevetta's kitchen where shepherding happens over soup and chocolate chip cookies. And I think of the spring day a number of years ago when David Geick came by and he said, you look very tired, the spring flowers are blooming, let me take you for a walk. And I think of... Bruce Charles and all the time he spends with young entrepreneurs, Ray, 
And all the time he helps guys figure out how to live for Christ in the corporate world and on and on and on and on. Forgive me, I know I left many of you out, but we've got to go home tonight. That's all shepherding. I think that's the Trinity at work. And I think that's how we flourish. Well, then Peter gives three contrasts showing what shepherding is and is not. He says, a good shepherd cares for the flock not under compulsion, but willingly. Some Mark Pate always says, told me this for 25 years now, a need does not constitute a call. A need does not constitute a call. One of the worst things I've done in ministry is talked people in to a shepherding role they were not called to do. And because you're good people and you want the help, a lot of times you'll say yes, never ends well. It's too hard. You can't do it unless you're called to do it. We need to do it willingly. A good shepherd cares for the flock not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, I I don't see, frankly, much of this around here, this shameful gain, people wanting to serve for the wrong reasons. I see people serving for the right reasons. I think the idea is that, yeah, I'll serve in that committee because people will see me do that, and they'll see me as a spiritual person, uh, and I'll get closer to the, the, the decisions. And I don't see a lot of that in our church, but I think that's what he's talking about. I think, do it eagerly. Do it because you love to do it. I think of Turner Howard has a bunch of guys that meet in his house on Tuesday nights and I'm in the the text loop and uh, Turner about frauds the mouse over this thing. He's just so eager to do it. He lives to do it. That's the way it should be. And then he says, a good shepherd does so not domineering over those in your charge, but by being examples to the flock. Now, there is a dark side to shepherding. Uh, most of you are too young to remember, but in the 80s and 90s, there was something called the shepherding movement. Uh, and, and it was this thing that moved through a lot of the evangelical church that actually got kind of cultic and became more about the, the shepherd than the person. Uh, got all whacked out. And this can happen, right? We don't go into this because of power. Instead, we're to be a good example. And the Greek word is tupos. And literally, it means someone who's, it means uh, a dent. <laughs> it means uh, something in which a dent has been put in so that they can make a stamp and reproduce it. So literally, this would be, instead, be someone who's been dented by Christ. Be someone who's been kind of shaped and molded by Christ so that others can can see it. You know, Suzanne Hassel, we remembered her Wednesday night at our All Saints Day service and marvelously gifted spiritual director, the founder of the Order of Bridget, gifted retreat leader. She was an incredibly good shepherd if there ever was one, but... The way she shepherded me was by the way she was dented. I had the rare privilege, and I told you that sometimes it's hard to be a pastor. It is. 
It's the most glorious thing in the world, too, because you get to be places not everybody gets to be. I got to be there as Suzanne died. And we spent a lot of time together that last month or so. And I always loved Suzanne's example, never more than the last weeks. Suzanne shepherded me as I watched a saint die. Peter ends with a promise for the shepherds to keep in mind. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's helpful to know. Who's the chief shepherd? (laughs) Oh, thank God. It's not me. It's not you. It's him. We're just under shepherds. He's ultimately responsible for whoever you're shepherding. And Peter says at the end, we're going to get a crown from him. There's a reward. Greek runners would get a crown of laurel, but it would wither. Peter says this is an unfading crown. That when you make the sacrifice, and it is a sacrifice, when you make this emotional and spiritual and physical sacrifice to shepherd other people, to care for them, God sees. And he rewards. So as we've said, not everybody's called to shepherd our flock. Don't do it out of compulsion. But if you're not one of the people that are called to to be a shepherd, would you pray for your shepherds? Especially on Tuesday nights, the first Tuesday night of the month, we have our shepherding team meeting. We've got great people. We have fun. We work together well. It's still hard. It's just hard. Would you pray for us? And if you think for a moment about anybody that's kind of caring for you, that's investing in your life, would you pray for them? You know, when you, if you do it well, you do it like Christ did it, you can't help but take on the burden of the person that you're caring for, right? How can you not? It's one of the greatest privileges in all the world. And it can kill you. I went to the chiropractor a while ago, and he's a, I think he's a follower of Christ in his own way, and my back was all whacked out, and he said, uh, he said, what did you do yesterday? And I said, it was a great day. I got to just spend hours with our people, hearing their stories, pouring in, listening, shepherding. He said, uh, yeah, and you put it all on your back. He said, you need to go up to a stream, take your shoes off and put them in and, and let some of that drain out. That's what it's like to care. You know that. You know that. And don't in any way think that that means you should not keep allowing the person to care for you. A shepherd cares because he's called to care. But it's hard. So please pray. Pray for Jill and I. You know, we, we lost our beloved Jesse, and it's just the two of us now. And uh, It's hard. Jill particularly is having to pick up a lot of extra stuff. 
extra shifts. All the shepherding team is. Trevetta's been sick for three weeks. I just think he's carrying, if you knew how many things he was doing for you, you'd go, wow. Um, Yeah. That's probably enough. Let's pray.